There are certain people who have a way of looking at circumstances and, and thinking, there's got to be a better way. Right? They, they look at the same thing that everybody else looks at, but they come up with a solution nobody else has ever thought of. Uh, the Wright brothers come to mind. Right? They looked at travel and they thought, man, it would be, gr- be great if we could fly there. Right? It's got to be a better way than these cars are walking or horses and carriages. It's like flying. Right? That'd be better. I don't know who it was. I don't know if it's a man or a woman, but somebody invented indoor plumbing, right? I mean, they're looking at the situation, and they're thinking, there's got to be a better way. We shouldn't have to do this. And, and we got indoor plumbing. Somewhere in the past, somebody got up early one morning, and they thought, we don't have to eat eggs and bacon in the morning. We could eat donuts for breakfast, right? <laughs> Like, I, I respect that, right? Because everybody else just been eating eggs and bacon. And this somebody, one of my heroes, said, no, donuts. Donuts is what you ought to eat early in the morning. Some people just do that. They look at the situation and they go, it's got to be a better way. Let's fix it. Let's do, let's do it differently than anybody else is doing it. We meet a group of people like that in Joshua chapter 9. Um, several things that are going on. We open Joshua chapter 9. There's a group of leaders who are getting together to go fight the Israelites. Israelites have come into the country, and you know, pretty much they've been kicking butt and taking names so far, battling one city at a time. And so this group of leaders get together, and they go, hey, let's don't fight them one at a time. Let's put all our armies together. Let's go all fight them at once. But that wasn't really the better way I'm talking about, because while they're doing that, There's another group of people called the Gibeonites. They're from Gibeon. And they come up with a way nobody's thought of before. And honestly, it kind of puts us in a tough situation because they're kind of the bad guys. We're not supposed to like them. We're kind of against them. The Israelites are are coming in to wipe them out. But when you see what they did, I mean, you've got to give some props, right? It's just a little bit of respect for the Gibeonites because they come up with this masterful plan. Sometimes it, it's good to be the smartest person in the room. And the Gibeonites were kind of like that. They just outsmarted everybody. They were clever. And, and the Bible even says it's, it's a good thing to be clever. So, sometimes the Bible uses the word shrewd. Jesus did. He sent his disciples out on a, a mission trip. And he said, hey, guys, look, I want you to be shrewd as serpents, harmless as doves. And a lot of people know that quote. We use it a lot. I want you to be smart. I want you to use your brain. I want you to be clever. I want you to be creative. I want you to think things through. Have some common sense about you when you you go out. The Bible's all for that. Now, the the shrewdness that gets used in Joshua chapter 9 actually becomes outright lying. If not outright lying, then certainly deception. God's not for deception. I'm not saying that we should deceive people in order to be shrewd. But that's what this group does, and it works for them. Here's the story. Joshua chapter 9, verse 3. Group of leaders getting their armies together. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, 
we have come from a distant country, make a treaty with us. I mean, this was over-the-top production. Right? If they were giving out Academy Awards, the Gibeonites get Academy Award for this little play that they put together. Because I'm thinking they rehearsed this. Like they had all these rehearsals leading up, and they had a final dress rehearsal, and everybody got in their costume, and they went to hair and makeup, and, okay, you're going to stand here, and you're going to stand, you're going to kind of look over there, and don't look right at the camera, and this is kind of your inner monologue, this is what you need to be thinking, so your facial expression is just right, and then when we get there, this guy's going to speak, you're not going to speak, he's going to speak, and so they practiced this whole thing, and then they got their props, they loaded down their donkeys so it looked like they'd been traveling a long way and they got old clothes and old sandals and old moldy bread. And, and they set out so that when they got to Joshua and the leaders, they get this kind of vague general description. We are from a distant country, way over there, long way. You wouldn't know where we're from. We're from long way, many places Long, because, I mean, who's to define distant, right? So we're from a distant country. We're, we're way far away. I mean, the truth is they're from Snellville, right? They're from Snellville, and they came over to Loganville. But they made it look like they've been walking for months and months. And they're worn out, and their, their clothes are all worn out. And so the, the Israelites' leaders, they're kind of suspicious. Verse, verse 7, the Israelites said to the Hivites, another name for the Gibeonites, but perhaps you live near us, and maybe you're from Snellville, and you're not telling us. So how can we make a treaty with you? That wouldn't be right. We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you? Where do you come from? They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country. Like a minute ago, it was a distant country, and now it's a very distant country. Like laying it on really thick. If you keep reading, they pull out the moldy bread to prove, right? Like, we, we got this at Panera before we left, and like, look, this is nine grain, and this is rye, and it's all green and moldy. Look at that. How can you not trust us? We all got new clothes, and look at our clothes. They got holes in them. We, we stopped at the Chaco store. Everybody got new Chacos on the way out of town. Look at our Chacos. They got holes in them. They're ripped. We've had to mend everything. What do you mean you don't believe us? We've come from a very distant land. And for, and for the Israelites, it's not adding up. You can tell. If you read the chapter, they're, they're thinking, something doesn't seem right. I can't put my finger on that. Some doesn't seem right, but nobody says anything. They, they just keep asking, who are you? Where are you from? How do we know that you're from there? I know you got moldy bread. I, where are you from? But, but nobody in the group is willing to say, um, I think we need to slow down. Like, whoa, whoa, let's not make this decision yet. I, I think all of us are uncomfortable. I'm getting the vibe that all of us are uncomfortable, nobody says that. <laughs> Just keep moving forward. A couple of principles from Joshua chapter 9. When things don't add up, proceed with caution and diligence and don't ignore concerns. Just a general principle. Spiritual, personal, career, whatever. When things don't add up, slow down. Right? We, we describe this in a lot of ways in the church. Like we say, um, I just don't have a peace about it, right? I don't have peace about it. I don't have clarity. 
I got a check in my spirit. Like nobody else says that outside the church, but that's what we say. I got a check in my spirit. I just I don't feel comfortable with it yet. I, 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 I'm not at peace. What, whatever phrase you use, all of those phrases are fine. There's nothing wrong with those phrases. Just recognize when you feel that. Recognize when there's something inside of you going, I, I, I don't know if that's what we need to It's not adding up. And if you feel that, two things that you can do. Number one, keep pursuing and questioning and digging until you get resolution. Don't ignore it. Keep asking. In other words, turn into your uneasiness, not away from it. Don't try to ignore it. Don't try to walk past it. Don't try to convince yourself it's not there. Turn into that uneasiness and explore it. Well, where is this coming from? Is it me? I mean, that's part of the question you got to ask, right? Because some of us are just naturally paranoid people, right? All the time, Monday through Sunday, we're just paranoid. All We're cynical. We don't trust people. We think everybody's out to get us, right? So some of us have to say, all right, what part of this is just me? I just don't trust people. I'm just always paranoid. What, what part of this is the circumstances? Like I'm in a different circumstance and so I feel uncomfortable. Or, or is it timing? Or is it something from my past? Like I got burned in the past and I don't want to get burned again. And is that kind of shaping the way I feel about this circumstance? So start with you, but then... But then go beyond you and kind of dig around and why can't I get past this? What, what is it? Don't just, don't just plow forward. And then, and then the second thing, which is really the first thing, is keep praying. I mean, as you're digging, as you're questioning, as you're asking, keep praying. The most haunting verse of chapter 9 is verse 14. In the middle of this, we read, the Israelites sampled their provisions. In other words, they, they did what you would expect them to do. I mean, they did what common sense would tell you to do. They, they checked everything out. They sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. In other words, they didn't pray about this. They didn't try to get God's mind on this. They, they didn't want to hear from God on this. They were just sort of taking it on themselves. Yeah, I'm doing what you should do. I'm doing all the common sense things. Nothing wrong with common sense. Nothing wrong with wisdom. Nothing wrong with looking at their provisions, except that replaced talking to God. I mean, it's okay if that's in addition to talking to God, but verse 14 tells us, no, that replaced talking to God about this issue. That replaced prayer. And that's where the problem comes in, because they missed it. They missed the fact that this was a group of people they should not be making a treaty with, and they press forward, and they go through with it anyway, and three days later, they find out. They were from Snellville the whole time. <laughs> we don't know how they find out, but they find out. The Jokers are from Snellville. And so they load up and they go to find them and say, hey, how come you fooled us? You, how come you deceive us? And they say, well, we knew what you'd been doing. Like, we've been watching all the people that you had conquered and we didn't want to be one of those people. So we came to you and we made up the story, but you made this treaty. Interesting thing in verse 18. Well, as they're having this conversation, but the Israelites did not attack them. Because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, We have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. Now, 
ton of leadership lessons. If you lead an organization, an office, or, or whatever, if you're in some leadership role, ton of application here. But there's some, there's some personal application as well, like this one. I should honor my word regardless of the circumstances. I mean, you read this, and let's, let's be honest. If the story had said, Joshua said, you lied to us, so our treaty is no longer valid. We're going to wipe all of you out. That, I think from a human perspective, we would have all understood that. Yeah, right on, Joshua. They lied to you. You get them back. That's not what he did. Joshua said, no, we, we gave you our word. Now, the circumstances, you deceived us. You were wrong in what you did, but we gave our word, and so the circumstances are not going to change our oath, my character. This can be tricky, especially if you're in a leadership position, because here's the truth. Power follows leadership. If you're leading anybody, you have a measure of power over them, and as the leader, when you goof up, when you make a bad call, when you make a wrong decision, when you misstep, it is very tempting as a leader with power to follow that with trying to cover everything up because you got the power to do that. I mean, I mean, Joshua could have said, "Now I'm calling in the army. We're going to wipe all of you out. Nobody's ever going to know about this treaty again." He could have done that. He had the power to do that, and as the leader. When you get caught in a bad decision, it's really tempting to use the power that you have as the leader to wipe out the decision that you made that was so bad. Joshua doesn't do that. Joshua says, we gave our word. And, and I don't know how that makes you view Joshua, but for me, like my respect for Joshua goes way up at this moment. Because he could have covered this whole thing up. Because of his power and his position. And Joshua says, nope, you were wrong, but I'm going to do what I said. See, here's a principle. Other people's lack of integrity isn't justification for me sacrificing my integrity. Other people's lack of integrity, the fact that they lied to me, the fact that they deceived me for Joshua was not justification for him ruining his own character and his own integrity. And there was a price to pay at this point. Because we read, all of the people back home, they're not happy about this. I mean, as the leader, Joshua has to stand up and say, you know what, guys? I made the wrong call. I, I made a misstep here. But we're going to honor what I said because I said it. We, As the leaders, we gave our word. We're going to honor that. Even though that meant he took heat from the people back home. Just because they lied doesn't give me the right to sacrifice my integrity. It doesn't give me a get-out-of-jail-free card when it comes to my character. I don't get to do whatever I want to do because they were wrong. Another principle, don't compound one mistake with another mistake. Joshua had already messed up. Joshua did not pray this through. He did not seek God's direction in this decision. But instead of plowing forward and trying to cover up what had happened, Joshua said, let's, let's take a deep breath here. All right, well, let's step back. Let's, let's not compound the first mistake with another mistake. The, the old saying, the number one rule of being in a hole is stop digging, right? And that was Joshua's approach. Is, I, I, I'm not going to keep doing the wrong thing just because I made a 
mistake. And, and, and here's, the, here's the beauty of it all on the, on the backside. Because Joshua was a man of integrity, God was able to work good even from his mistake. God was able to bring out something beautiful. The, the Gibeonites, if you follow the, the rest of the history of Israel, the Gibeonites become a part of the family. They, they get assimilated into the nation. Now they're given a, a, a rotten job. You can read about that in chapter 9. It's like the job nobody else wanted to do. And Joshua said, all right, here's the punishment. I'm not going to kill you, but you're going to have to do that for us. That's what you got to do. So, but they're given a job. They're assimilated into the nation and in Nehemiah chapter 3, if you're familiar with the story of Nehemiah, Israel's taken captive, and then they start coming back, and Jerusalem's destroyed, the wall's torn down. Nehemiah chapter 3, they're listing all the people working on the wall. Guess who's, who's rebuilding the wall? Gibeonites. In Nehemiah chapter 7, when the population as a whole begins to come back to Jeremiah, guess who's part of the group that comes back? The Gibeonites. God is able to work good and glory even through our mistakes if we'll recognize the mistake we made and say, all right, let's, let's not keep making mistakes. All right, let's, let's take a deep breath. Let's do the right thing now. And this would be a great story if it ended just like that. If they all were friends and got along and... BFFs, right, accepted each other's friend requests on Facebook. It would be great if they were just one big happy family. But when we roll into chapter 10, things get interesting. Because there's a group of five kings, and they decide we're not going to attack Israel. We're going to attack the Gibeonites because we know what they did. And we don't know if they're mad at them, and so this is sort of their punishment, or... If they're trying to keep the Gibeonites from joining forces with the Israelites and being a bigger army, or both of those, but there's five kings in the beginning of chapter 10 who decide, let's go get the Gibeonites, and the Gibeonites call 911. All right? verse, verse 6, the Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, do not abandon your servants. In other words, help. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces Against us. See, here's the thing about integrity. <clears throat> here's the thing about your word. It's one thing to give your word. It's another thing to honor your word when something's at stake. It, it's one thing to say, yeah, sure, yeah, you can count on me. It's another thing when, the, when there's a price to be paid and you actually have to follow through. Because, again, let's think, of, think about it. Joshua could have delayed just long enough for the kings to all wipe out the Gibeonites, right? And then his problem solved. Right? He didn't do it. He didn't harm them. He didn't technically break his treaty. He let the other kings take care of it. But Joshua's word was not just lip service. His integrity was not just something he talked about. So Joshua gathers his men up. Verse 7, so Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I've given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. And we didn't read it, but you read the rest of the chapter. And what you realize is Joshua goes to his guys. The sun's going down. And he says, guys, we're marching all night. We're marching all night. It's about 20, 25 miles from where they were to where the Gibeonites were, and it's mostly uphill. 
Joshua said to his men, we're marching all night uphill because we came here to do what God tells us to do. We're marching all night uphill. Here's a question. We all have to wrestle with it different times in our life. What did you commit to at one point that you're still willing to march all night for? What did you commit to? What did you give your word to? What did you give your heart to? What did you give your, your mind, your plans, your future to? That you would still to this day say, yeah, I'd march all night if that's what it took. Maybe, maybe it was a goal or a dream. Because let's be honest. Joshua is in kind of that dangerous middle ground right now. They got to the country. They've, they've won some battles. They've lost some battles. He's made some good decisions. He's made some bad decisions. He's had victories and defeats. He's got some scars. Some things have gone great. Some things have been really tough. They've lost some people. He's in that dangerous middle where it's, it's easy, that sort of the excitement, the energy is worn off, and it's easy to kind of back down a little bit. It's easy to coast a little bit. You know, kind of in the middle, you, you experience a, a dip of enthusiasm and emotion and excitement. Not everything went the way you thought it was going to go. And so it's just kind of lull. And Joshua's in that dangerous middle. Uh, months ago, John Acuff uh, tweeted something. I, I, I wrote it down in, in my phone. Look at it occasionally. I'll clean it up just a little bit because I don't want emails about one part. Here's what it says. Here's my translation. The middle of any goal is going to stink. Right? He uses a word a little stronger than stink. The middle of any goal is going to stink. It just is. Like the beginning's great. I'm excited. Woo, let's go. The end, like when it's accomplished, that's fantastic. The middle is going to stink. Like there's hard, You run into hard times in the middle. And that's where Joshua is. He's in that sort of middle ground. And in the, in the middle of the middle ground, he looks at his, his fighting men and he says, we're marching all night, uphill, in full gear. We're not stopping till in the morning. And, and my question is, what, what, what did God put in your heart? What dream, what, what vision, what goals that you would honestly say today, I'd march all night if I had to. March all night. Like I said, maybe it's a, a dream. Maybe, maybe it's a goal. Maybe it's, maybe it's parenting for some of us. right? I mean, parenting starts out with all the, you know, the baby showers and the cute clothes and the woo-hoo and the smells like a baby and smells like other stuff too. But it's just like this excitement with new baby and then like they become a demon at some point, right? Eyes, a head turns around. They become teenagers, and you don't even know what they're saying when they talk to you. Some, every once in a while, as a parent, you got to look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what? I'll march all night uphill if I have to. I'm not quitting. I'm not back. I'll march all night uphill because God called me to this little human being. March all night. Sometimes we have to do that in our marriage, don't we? We have to look in the mirror, not at our spouse. We have to look in the mirror and say, you know what? 
It's not easy right now. This is kind of the middle, and it's hard, and we're dealing with some things, and we're figuring out how to communicate, and we've got extended family, and we got blah, all this is happening. I'll march all night uphill. I'm committed to this. I'm committed to this. Maybe it's a ministry. Maybe God put a ministry down in your heart at one point and started great, and you were helping people or serving people or ministering to people. And it's in your heart. It's not like in 50 other hearts. It's in God put it in your heart. And the middle's been hard. And, and this is a point you just need to say, march all night. Uphill, if I need to do that. Because here's, here's the thing. The miracle and the power of God sometimes is on the other side of marching all night uphill. We want there to be this epiphany, right? We want the clouds to part and the angels to sing and there to be music and like, whoa. The work of God, the miracle of God sometimes is on the other side of an uphill march. All night they marched. Verse 9. After... An all-night march from Gilgal. After they marched. After they kept going. Joshua took them, the enemy, by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon, but only after an all-night march. I mean, God told them before the all-night march, I got this, we're going to win, we're going to defeat them. Start up the hill. And after the all-night march, God shows up and defeats the enemies. And not just that. Keep reading. The, the ones that survived the attack, they start running back downhill away from the Israelite army. And God starts raining hailstones down on them. Not like little pebbles. Like people are dying from hailstones. Matter of fact, the Bible says more of them died from the hail than died from the battle, which that would totally stink, wouldn't it? It's like you survive the battle and you're running away and you get conked in the head with a hailstone, you die from a hailstone. They don't give medals out for dying from a hailstone, I don't think. That'd be awful. After an all-night march uphill, God showed up. And then there's this little, this little part that happens. Verse 12. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, this is his prayer, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still. The moon stopped. For the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashar. In other words, if you don't believe this version, there's another version in this other book. Go find it. It's tell you the same thing happened. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. Now, there is no end to attempts to explain this. We could spend a whole Sunday morning just talking about all the different ways people try to explain this. Did the earth stop rotating uh, did the light get refracted over so that it was still light? Did, it, it, was it not talking about light? Was it talking about dark? So was it an eclipse? Is it just 
figurative and poetic, like the psalmist talks about the sun watching and the stars, and the psalmist talk, uses that. Is it just figured? All of these explanations, I, I don't know. What I know is they get to the end of that day and they go, whew, we have never seen God do anything like that. Before or since, God showed up in a way we have never seen before. And, and God did something that day. After an all-night march, God did something they never, ever forgot. Told their kids about it. Told their grandkids about it. They never forgot that day. And what they experienced from God. And it it was all out of an all-night march and a crazy prayer. All-night march, crazy prayer. God showed up and did something they never, ever forgot. Now, now here's, here's the good news. That's the same God we pray to every day, if you pray every day. I mean, the God that Joshua prayed to, and everybody stood back at the end of the day and went, whew, we've never seen anything like that. That's the same God I talk to, same God you talk to. Sun stands still. The God that heard that prayer, here's your prayer about whatever you're praying about, about whatever's on your heart, about whatever burden you have. As a matter of fact, that was what was most amazing to the people that day. Look at the rest of verse 14. There has never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. They didn't say, there's never been a day like it before or since when the sun stood still. They said, We saw that day like we'd never seen it before. God hears us. We're not just praying empty prayers. We're not talking to somebody who's away on vacation and and is not dialed into us. We saw that day, and we never, ever forgot it. That when we cry out to God, He's listening. When we pray to God, He hears. And there are times... He takes our crazy prayer and does something with it. So what? What crazy prayer are you praying? How far uphill have you marched? And what crazy prayer are you praying? Because what they learned thousands of years ago is still true today. God hears it. God hears the craziest of prayers. So pray. Pray them boldly and big and without apology. Because God hears crazy prayers. Let's pray. God, thank you that on a hill in the Middle East, thousands of years ago, There was a group of people that were just blown away by the fact that you heard them. So much so they never forgot it. We want to be those people. We want to be people that march all night uphill. And as we're marching, we're, we're praying bold, audacious, crazy and 
impossible prayers, knowing that you hear us. Knowing that there's a God on the other side. A God that's listening. So help us not to shrink back. Help us not to take it for granted. Help us to march and to pray and to march and to pray and to march and to you open your eyes what do you need to pray right now what crazy thing do you need to pray maybe you're in a march I know some of you spoke with a woman in the first service that just got another bad diagnosis she's marching uphill and she's praying crazy prayers where are you marching how are you praying just tell God right now just pray it just pray it he's listening right now he's listening embarrass anybody. You're not going to have to say anything. Nobody's going to come to you. If you need us to pray for you, crazy prayer. If you need us to pray for you, just stand up. Everybody's heads are bowed. Their eyes are closed. If you need a crazy prayer answer, just stand up. God, across this room, there are people crying out to you. We cry with them bold and unapologetically that you would work. You would work in miraculous ways. In ways that they would stand back and say, we've never seen God do that before. We've never experienced that before. We lift them up. We lift the needs of their hearts up to you. We know that you are faithful. We know that you hear. Jesus' name.